Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast Mailbag Episode. I'm your host, Richard Reddy, but my friends call me Spanish, so let's be friends. It's 2023 now, so I am declaring that this is now the preseason instead of the off-season, at least in Missed Apex land. I believe I have that kind of authority and power because last year really felt like a long, long season. And I found myself at the end of the season being glad that the race cars got parked for just a little while. It was that intense a season. I was glad to finally leave the shed and see my children's little faces for the first time since pre-season testing. Because in the olden days, in the before time, in the long, long ago that even Uncle Steve can remember, F1 seasons used to just go by in a flash. They were gone and we would be begging for more but nowadays it's a tsunami of races in your face wave after wave of triple headers double headers extra sprint races all coming at you and then finally the mercy of december comes around and you can wipe f1 off with the warm sweet towel of the off season but that has passed now that has gone i've had my christmas dinner i've popped my new year's poppers I even held out my bolsa for Eldea de los Reyes Mogos. I am cleansed. I am rested. And now I want my F1 cars back. So I'm declaring it pre-season here at Mist Apex. So let's kick off by answering your mailbag questions after reminding you that we are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. I'm joined from a wintry New York by Matt to Rumpets. How's it going, Matt? 
I have a fascinating hour, 20-minute long documentary on vehicle dynamics that I can recommend highly to you, Spanners. I don't want to watch that. <laughs> oh, come on. No, I want something interesting with explosions and car chases. Oh, okay. So kind of like uh, Andretti in Formula One then. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, we'll just watch the 2014 season back and just look <laughs> out for any Renault-powered car. That would be the one to do. Uh, we're also joined by PR guru Chris Stevens. How's it going, Chris? Hello, Spanners. And the new year, our first live stream of 2023 as well. It's exciting times. Yeah. Are you looking forward to the new season, Chris? Are you recovered enough? I am sufficiently. And as you know, I I very much agree with you about how this has been a bit of a slog of an F1 season, just because it's so long. And the fact that we had December off for the World Cup and lengthening that off-season a little bit was actually quite nice. I I feel refreshed. I didn't realise that. Was the F1 schedule done with the World Cup in mind? Yes, it it certainly was. Oh, okay. I learned learned something. Yeah, the last race of the season was the day the World Cup started. Ah, right. And then if you look at the season before, it went quite deep into December. So does that mean... It was Christmas by Ah. the time the season ended, and it's going to be the same again this year. Oh, okay, good. Well, okay, in that case, take a deep breath, and maybe I'm okay that there's a few more weeks of the pre-season to come. And we're also joined by special guest uh, Matt Summerfield. Matthew Summerfield, Summers F1. Don't panic. It's not a tech show. Summers, I want to get some of your opinions on, like, the rest of F1. Everyone asks you about aero, but no one ever asks you, do you like Carlos Sainz's hair? <laughs> and why wouldn't anybody want to ask me those kind of questions? Exactly. So so we're going to dig into our mailbag. Um, some people have tried to sneak some tech in. So whether or not they'll be successful later, I can't guarantee. But I, I want to check. I don't want to embarrass you. You do know stuff like that's not involving tyre squirt and an aero, don't you? I, I kind of know a few things, yeah. Oh, okay. And you're a fan. You're, I've got, I peg you as a Williams guy maybe back in the days, but I don't really follow one particular team anymore. Oh. It's a bit difficult to be a journalist and have a team or a driver. So, you you know, you always have to sit on the fence, don't you? This is this is it, guys. This is what I forget, that Summers is actually like a proper a proper journalist for motorsport.com and stuff. So you've got to be... So we can't... I can tell you what, if anyone can get him to do like an inflammatory opinion and, and, and uh, you know, start a flame war, you get extra points. How's that? Challenge accepted. Not a pretend journo like like you, Matt, that you've been to like how many how many accredited race races have you been to? A couple. A couple. Yeah. yeah Formula yeah. E though. Uh, Formula okay. One. Okay. Yet. And Chris, you are no longer a, a journalist. Now you're in no. the PR world. Um, but you still, you know, tend to stay fairly neutral. Yeah. Um I think it's just kind of in my nature where I'm more a fan of the sport. Yeah. I think when I was younger, I definitely was a big McLaren fan because they were a British team and at the time had two British drivers in the form of Lewis Hamilton and and Jensen Button. And when I started watching, they also just happened to be the two most recent world (laughs) champions as well. So, uh, but yeah, over time, just more of a fan of the sport. Yeah. So we're, we're lucky. It's a really like neutral, unbiased panel with me leading as the most neutral one. So let's dig into the mailbag. Stop sniggering in the back. I can hear you from here. I can hear you typing a YouTube comment. Let's see. First up is Fred Philberg with a question. He says, I'm a new F1 fan from the US. Well, welcome to F1 fandom, Fred, who started watching after Spa 2022. I'm curious what the panel's thoughts are regarding Alpine's performance next year. Will Gasly and Ocon succeed? Will the Alpine car not explode daily? Chris. 
Firstly, um, can I just apologise for the end of the 2022 season, uh, Fred? <laughs> they are usually more different race winners uh, across the season than what you will have seen watching Formula One um, yeah. since Spa. Uh, Fred, go back and watch the end of the 2013 season. See it for, some, for, some, for something yeah. different. Or watch the beginning of the 2013 season, which was much more competitive than, than that. But oh, hang, on, hang on, hang on. I have to say, okay, I have to, sorry, I have to say, Lewis Hamilton is very considerate. When he wins a world championship, he tends to then not win any more races. So in a <laughs> Lewis so Hamilton true. championship season, at least you get more winners towards the end. Sorry, Chris, carry on. Uh, yes. Yeah, so to the question... Alpine took a very direct route in choosing performance over reliability in 2022. And we saw the car was indeed very competitive and it just about worked out in their favor where they did manage to secure fourth in the constructors championship after a season long battle with McLaren. I think it's safe to say that that battle was a lot closer than it probably should have been, especially bearing in mind that McLaren were fighting that fight with one hand tied behind their back in the form of only having one competitive driver in that car. Um, but the the Gasly-Ocon combination, I think, is a very interesting one, yeah. assuming that they are able to act in a professional manner and set their previous <laughs> differences aside, yeah. which I think is maybe more possible because their differences came from both being young, up-and-coming superstars from france and usually competing for the same sponsors yeah and competing for the same places on the same grids but now that they're both in formula one and both race winners um actually i think it yeah. might be easier for them to get along I, it's not gonna be no you're wrong and matt because uh, <laughs> matt obviously you're like you're a, a big supporter of, of esteban ocon but ocon yeah. has gotten under the skin of of just about every teammate like you remember obviously with me as a perez fan watching them in the Pink Panthers, and they just seem to be, you know, clashing constantly. And um, and Ocon like selfishly took up room near the barrier at Singapore that Perez was clearly always <laughs> destined to occupy. And then and it, and, it, and look with Alonso, Alonso is oh our friend, you know, like being sarcastic. They've obviously fallen out. Um, he's got this history with with Gasly as well. So like I, I think Ocon's a lot more fiery behind the scenes. And he even it was Ocon, wasn't it, that Verstappen ended up shoving on the the way bridge i like he he has a habit of of getting under people's skin man yeah but you know i mean you can't argue with the results and i will point out that he went two seasons with alonzo mm -hmm. and we've not seen too many people able to do that without burning the entire place down i mean yeah i think alonzo had some issues with him but yeah. I, I overall the relationship remain pretty professional. What I want to talk about hilariously is that the main problem that Alpine had wasn't their internal combustion engine. It was just the water pump was not up to snuff. Some, they got something about the design wrong and they weren't able to fix it. Oh, sneaking so, in tech. Look at that. Yeah. As, as far as the blowing up engines, I, I don't, I'm <laughs> hoping that we won't see quite as many of them as we did last season. So Sam, I'm not banning you from talking about tech in any way. Um, and feel free just to come in anytime. I know normally when you do these tech shows, Matt asks 14 questions and then waits patiently for half an hour as you answer each one in turn. But what, what's your, what's your take on, on Alpine as a, as a team with what you could argue is a superstar driver lineup for next year. 
Well, just going back to obviously the Gasly Ocon sort of relationship, I think when you look at the previous partnerships, i.e. Alonso and uh, Perez, you could almost argue that, that that it's the teammates that have been rubbed up the wrong way and Ocon's kind of just got there in the mix. Um, however, I do think that there might be a bit of a sniping behind the scenes between Gasly and Ocon. It's probably going to come to blows yeah. at some point, um, especially if Alpine do have a decent car. Uh, which they do have the potential to do so this year. Um, I think they did an exceptional job last season in terms of development on their car. Uh, they didn't have to shift uh, development focus too drastically from what they started from, and that obviously allowed them to build momentum. They had updates all the way till almost the end of the season, uh, whereas other teams didn't have that kind of uh, ability to do so. So, and as Matt already mentioned, that one of their biggest issues with the power unit was the water pump. Now, I wasn't going to bring that up because it was tech, but no, Matt's no. already given me the shoeing. <laughs> uh, so I do think that from a success point of view, Alpine, Gasly and Ocon could be a really threatening combination. But I don't think that Alpine have still got the ability to take it to the top three. And I think this is the biggest problem that Formula One has over the course of the next few years is closing that gap between the top three and those that are in down below them. Are we still calling them Renault? Are we? Are we still calling them Alpine? We're not. We're not going to go with. I can't believe it's not Renault because <laughs> part of the, the reason I think they went to that rebrand was was I don't know. I guess pressure from the board. We are the mighty Renault. We're well previous world champions, we've, we've won titles with Red Bull as an engine manufacturer. This is clearly not going well. Uh, a beatable gets sent on his way after like not delivering on the five-year plan or whatever it was, and then suddenly they get rebranded as Alpine, which felt like a face-saving exercise, and I'm, I have no... You know, I'm not sat on the board of, <laughs> of, of, the, of Renault, but it does feel like that, doesn't it, Chris? It felt like the whole yeah. Alpine thing was just a, a, to avert the PR quote-unquote disaster of the underwhelming Renault era. Yeah, the five-year plan that turned into a six-year plan and then a seven-year plan and then an eight-year yeah. plan and so on and, I, and, and so forth. And we have to remember that all through this, Matt, you have been the most optimistic Renault person, that it, they were just going to turn it around any minute. But, and do you still have that faith even since they've been downgraded to Alpine? Uh, well, I don't see Alpine as a downgrade. I think I would agree with you. I think it's a moving of the goalpost by the Renault Corporation. It's a downgrade. Uh, as, as far as the power unit goes, mm. um, I think they have every right to claim that they are there or thereabouts with Honda and Mercedes in terms of performance. In terms of reliability, obviously not yet. But I think the issue for all of the midfield teams, and we'll probably talk more about this later, is that I'm looking at five to 10 years of the cost cap we currently have before the advantage the big teams have built up over the previous decade plus they've been in the sport is actually whittled away. They have in their, you know, at their command, an arsenal of tools the midfield teams cannot afford. And it's going to take a long time before those tools degrade to the point that we have real parity, the kind that the FIA and FOM want. I think Alpine this season as well is really going to miss Alonso. Now, Matt can <laughs> sit here and he's going, to, he's going to sit here and say, Ocon beat him in the standings, blah, 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 blah. Okay. But we all know that when those cars were working, Alonso was the one up front and scoring the big, big points. 
and those big explosive performances where he would suddenly bag a top five or a top six or some really, really amazing Sunday afternoon drive from Alonso. I don't think they're going to get that same thing Mm. from Pierre Gasly. I do expect Gasly to get the better of Ocon because I just rate Gasly a little bit higher, I think. Uh, And he has a bit more potential. But yeah, I don't think we're going to see those big explosive performances from them anymore. Yeah, I don't want to fall out with Matt over it, but I'm also expecting Gasly to to come in and and become the de facto number one driver. But I think Matt will get, obviously you'll get your... I told you so moment when if that if that doesn't transpire or they put Alonso's water pump in, in yeah. Gasly's car. <laughs> Just like Alonso came in and thrashed Ocon. Honestly, though, I, I'm, I'm sure with... Gasly in a brand new team will yeah. do better. I, we always wait, Matt, when people move teams and we have these kind of arguments over the last eight years, we, we always give a few months grace, don't we, to let things balance out when a new driver goes I'm not I'm not really worried about it. actually it's a funny thing Chris mentions the statistics um because we had someone ask about teammate battles I went and collected them all Ocon's highest finish was 4th this season Alonso's was 5th so you know I I mean he's equally capable of finishing at the top end of the field we saw the battle with Hamilton at Suzuka we saw the battle with Vettel I think it's going to be an interesting pairing with Gasly um and and I really don't know which of them is the better driver, but because Alcon's been at the team already for two years, I suspect this season is a, is is should be a lock for him. And you guys have, have tripped over another listener question that we've got from Tom, who and I love this because we've got you know it was a, an America Land listener, Fred, from the the first question, and now we're going all the way over to New Zealand. Greetings, greetings. From a New Zealander that desperately wants Lawson in F1. I know this has been discussed a lot, but regardless of the new regulations, I feel that although the racing is technically closer, can we realistically see a team outside of the big three have any form of a chance to push for a title race anytime soon? From the outside view, it feels like the big three have far and away the facilities and personnel to do it. Of course, Matt touched upon this, and uh, I'd like to get Summer's view on this first, because... There was there was recently some someone from Audi, and I believe it was uh, Dieter Renkin wrote an article recently saying yeah. that Audi are really struggling to hire personnel, and and I don't know where Audi are going to be based. Are they going to be based in in Switzerland? Summers, do you know? I would imagine so. Yeah. Um, the the th- as you mentioned, the biggest problem that somebody like Audi have got is being able to steal away personnel from other manufacturers that aren't locked into big contracts. And some of the bigger teams, that's essentially what they've done, is locked their personnel into really significantly long contracts in order that they can't then just play musical chairs. We all know that that's how Formula One works. Once you're in that environment, you've either got to be in and out very quickly or you kind of stay in Formula One as a lifer uh, because of the way that the Formula One uh, community doesn't really transfer into perhaps other aspects of uh you know working life that you you might expect yeah you've basically got f1 or then you then you go into missiles (laughs) and that's really that's your choices once you go down that path sometimes i think yeah so that that's the difficulty i think that you've got is that you're competing against already very established teams that have projects in the in in the run already whereas you've got somebody like audi coming in and remember they're coming in as a as an engine manufacturer they're not coming in as a as a as a constructor um so they've got steel uh you know personnel from the engine manufacturers 
And we've already seen that's happened between Mercedes and Red Bull. So that's already shortened the amount of people that you can take from that particular pool. And then you're on to stealing from the likes of Honda and Ferrari. And we all know how Honda works in a very different way. So I think it's going to be really difficult for Audi, at least in the early stages. Um, but as we progress maybe two, maybe three years a bit further Wait. down the line, then we, we, we should be a bit better. I off. need some reminding summers. Okay, so Audi are coming in for the team that is currently Sauber, Alfa, well, Alfa Romeo. Yeah, so Audi are going to be the engine manufacturer for what will that team be? Well, I, I think it's going to be called Audi, isn't it? Like It's right, going right, to be okay. effectively the Audi works team run by Sauber. So I'm actually sure right. if Sauber's okay. going to be in the so name. So it's going to be Sauber badged as an Audi, but with Audi as an engine supplier. In the same way that Sauber is badged as Alfa Romeo now. Right, okay. Correct. But then the fact that they're, they're the engine supplier, that should sort of, it feels like that's enough to call it Audi, I guess. I, I don't know, like, how how much of them is then spiritually still, still Sauber at all. Like, Sauber has become kind of almost like a, like a, uh, a, a rive and drive for, well, other, for other companies. They're still making the car. Yeah, right. for, for me, a works team is a is a entity that creates both the chassis and the engine or power unit, which is not what Audi is doing. Okay, I, I suddenly feel like it was really insulting to call Sauber a rive and drive, but it do, <laughs> it does feel like they've just become like a, you know a, t- a team for hire, um, almost like what what you'd have Matt as a the customer team model that we always hope for. You know, you'd you'd get your your Saubers and a Delara, you know, to sit and make cars and make chassis and then someone can come in and and pick and choose but we had dreams of that kind of model maybe coming in when we were talking about this you know nearly a decade ago f1 has really gone the other way and it really wants names and manufacturers rather than that that kind of uh, you know it doesn't want another williams coming in being able to pick a delara chassis or a or a, or a sauber wheelbase and, and go racing Oh, no, it'd be fine, I think, with Williams if Williams had a deal with a large manufacturer to make its own power unit, for example. And and this is the interesting thing about the Audi hookup. We've seen Sauber partner with BMW. Alfa Romeo is really more of just a sponsorship, a brand thing. I, I know they say they bring some stuff, they share some, but it's really pretty much Sauber is the operations side of things. Audi is going to be the power unit. But the interesting thing is they will have the advantage, Sauber will, of designing a chassis in cahoots with their power unit manufacturer. And that's where we have seen the big teams, Red Bull, Mercedes, and Ferrari, be able to gain a lot of advantage over their customers. That is assuming that they do it properly and actually communicate on those things. because. It would not be the first, you know, sort of manufacturer tie-in that would not actually communicate between their engine and uh, chassis departments. Mm. Okay, this does inevitably and naturally lead us onto all the Andretti talk. So there are some. I I don't want. I actually proposed not talking about this today, and I got shouted down by um, by the rest of the panel, except Summers. Who, who agrees with me because I'm not actually overexcited about this as a as a news story but there are uh, some non-team questions coming up I think there's some fun ones about rules from another series from Kevin which I'm going to go to next but we are naturally moving on to Andretti so 
CJ, among others, says, Hello, Missed Apex crew. You continue to be the best and most informative podcast out there. And he didn't specify, or they didn't specify uh, F1, so it could be out of all the podcast topics, more informative than all the science ones. Thank you. you. What are your thoughts on the news that Andretti and Cadillac are teaming together to try and get to the grid? Are you hopeful, excited, heard this news before sort of thing? That kind of sums it up for me, that last sentence. Are you hopeful, excited? Have you heard this news before sort of thing? And lots of people asking similar questions. So we've got Rico saying, you know, GM and Cadillac announced they are partnered with Andretti for the F1 bid. They aren't going to make an engine though. So what are they going to do? And of course, the FIA president, uh, Mohammed Ben Sulayem, also kind of came out and almost publicly dressed down in a in a in a very kind of subtweety manner, the team principals who have been opposed to to another team joining, and that is predominantly Toto Wolf. But these thoughts have I've also seen them quotes from uh, Christian Horner and from Gunter Steiner also kind of objecting and protecting their own interest in Formula One. So I think I'll start with you, Matt. Why on earth? And this because you're American, isn't it? Why should I be excited about this? He's right. He's right. We have heard this kind of thing before. With this kind of thing, I'm like, tell me, tell me when there's actually something happening. At the moment, I feel like there's some news that maybe a team with no actual F1 recent F1 pedigree and a manufacturer from left field making their engines is going to make a bid to come into Formula One and do very well to do anything else but be a backmarker team. And it hasn't even happened yet. Why should I be excited about this? you should be excited about it because it's going to finally bring American eyeballs in the numbers that Formula One has been looking for for the past decade, if not more. So let's start with that. But we can also be specific and talk about Andretti in Formula One. Of course, Mario Andretti still driving race cars. Yes. Yeah. At 80? Uh, probably 80 at least. and change, yeah. Is uh is a former Formula One world champion. Sure. His son, who runs the team, raced in Formula One. They have been successful in IndyCar. They have been um and they are now partnering with GM, GM who makes Corvette, the uh Ferrari killer of mid-engine sports cars. Cadillac, the brand, has been immensely successful. In IMSA sports cars running prototypes uh, in combination with Wayne Taylor Racing, I do believe. And so you've got this long history of involvement of top level racing and racing teams. And you have the one thing that Formula One said it really needed, which is if we are going to dilute the prize pool, you got to bring something that's going to grow it enough to make it worthwhile. Mm. Well, I mean, I don't know. Seems like a lot of marketing in America is going to come along with GM and Cadillac and Andretti. So I think it was a impressive serve at the sort of halfway through last year when Andretti said they were launching a Formula One bid. But that serve got returned when Formula One said, "Oh, you have to bring something of some sort of, you know, value," as mm. if bringing the most famous name in American motorsport wasn't enough. So they say, okay, how about this for a return serve? We'll bring you the most profitable car manufacturer of 2022 that is 
American, and we will bring this all American <laughs> team with at least one American driver to the Formula One grid. Yeah. And not only make the field more interesting, because when you get more cars, you get more storage. Yeah, you I think so. Drama, you get everything. So. Yeah. It's just better when there is more. They will bring something of value. And to the point where they say they're not bringing an engine, they're not bringing an engine straight away because there's every chance that the Andretti name will be on the grid before 2026. There is no point in Cadillac making an engine pre 2026. Wait, 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 wait. Is this is this this team this bid is for what year? Well, we don't know yet. Oh they said God. in their really it will enter as soon as is practical. Oh, right? it's going to be 2025. So that could be. So it could be. It could be 24. It could mm. be 25. But until then, they will need to run a uh, a customer engine, which is likely to be a Renault. And then in 2026, who knows what is possible? Because there's oh every opportunity that Cadillac, which, as Matt mentioned, is a historic name in American sports car racing. IMSA okay. is like the equivalent in America of the World Endurance Championship. And they are taking on Le Mans this year as well, the 24 mm. hours. There's every chance they'll come in as a manufacturer as well. I don't see why... You know, th- this isn't a a big thing. Okay, it, it obviously when they arrive, it will be a big and interesting thing. But an unnamed date in the future, I think it's it's taking up a lot of column inches. But obviously, it's the it's the off season. But we do hear this kind of thing all the time, and these things fall through. How many news stories did we have? Porsche this, Porsche that, Porsche that, and the other, and now we like never think about it again. But that deal got to like ninety nine point nine percent of the way. So I'm telling Done. you, you that's what good journalism is. What, what did American Pie? Did it teach you nothing? You don't score until you score. My goodness, Summers, uh, I'm coming in with my theoretical new engine manufacturer eventually, and my new American team based a million miles away. But given the problems we've we've talked about Audi having with an extant team, what chance has an outlying American? manufacturer with no recent f1 engineering and competition experience actually got of making a fist of it and it, and, it, and i'm imagining if they don't immediately make an impact they're going to come under huge pressure project has i cite yeah i mean don't get me wrong i firmly believe that andretti are the team that have the best credentials to come in and basically deal with the problem that is entering formula one because it it has been and always will be very, very difficult to go from the ground up in Formula One. And I do believe that they sit in a region that allows them to do so because of their experience. It's just a whole timing issue that I see the problem with. And I think that one of the biggest reasons that we're seeing pushback from the other teams is the commercial deals and what was once called the Concord Agreement has been signed until technically 2026. All the funding that has revolved around that is already set in place. And we've got Andretti wanted to come in and fill a space on the grid prior to that agreement, uh, fulfilling its destiny. And I think that's probably where the, the rest of the teams have really got a bit of an issue with it. Not realistically andretti themselves just what has been agreed between the fom yeah yeah fia and the teams themselves okay let's see how much um interest and knowledge you have in this then summers the relationship between fom which is liberty media the commercial rights holder that used to be cvc what bernie ecclestone owned and the relationship between that 
and the current FIA president, who, by the way, we've never heard so much from an FIA president. He's just he's just active on social media. He's doing rowdy speeches on stage. They don't seem to be linking up. I'm not sure how aligned their interests are. And here's a sneaky one. I've got a feeling that there is beef between the FIA and Toto Wolf, and based on nothing at all, I think Toto Wolf has kept his powder dry for the last few years when he could have been much more Christian Hornery because he's eventually going to end up running F1 Bernie style. I think that might be slightly a stretch, but yeah, I agree that the, one of the big issues that you have is that uh, people perhaps don't understand how the mechanism of the FIA and, and, and FOM work. You know, uh, Formula One management is technically the commercial arm of yes, the, the business. Right. Um, they lease the that business from the FIA. The FIA are the governing body. Uh, so and confusing. so obviously, you know, you have this situation yeah. where the, the, if the two rub up against one another, then you, you've got a bit of a problem there. Um, and at the end of the day, there's only so much pie to feed off of. And I think that's primarily where the, the big issues are lying is from a financial aspect. Teams are getting rubbed up the wrong way because they feel that some of their pie might be uh, eaten away at by a new entry. Uh, but we've had this situation in the past. You look back at 2010 and the entry of those extra teams uh, and, and that caused a, a massive amount of controversy in, in those respects. And I, I think it's a dangerous region for Formula One to get back into, uh, especially with a, a team, like you say, that yeah. has to start from scratch. If the pie disappears, we'll just tell Mother that we ate it all. Chris? So those three teams that came in in 2010, they were all promised a cost cap that never came. We have a cost cap yeah, now. we do. And so it, bring back it, Caterham. No, 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 no. I think that might be, that might be a, a, a stretch. Marussia then. In, in you come, Marussia. Come on. Who's the other uh, one? But Who was the to- other one, Chris? Uh, that well, uh, Lotus that Lotus. turned into Caterham and oh, HRT. Yeah. Oh, yeah, HRT. Um, so let's bring those four back. Three, yeah, three. Yeah. yeah. So, but to Summer's point about the the sort of dilution of the prize part, obviously there was this two hundred million uh, anti dilution entry fee, yes. which would have worked out at twenty million per team, which they're now saying is not enough to compensate for the extra team, and. All the teams saying this, that, and the other. I don't think the team should be having a say in this whatsoever. It should be a Formula One and FIA decision and has nothing to do with the existing teams. But to your point, Spanners, where you're saying that these teams have no relevant recent Formula One experience. Yes. Who does, apart from the existing teams on the (laughs) grid? Who in your list is worthy of an F1? I just said, Caterham. Virgin, Mauricio, like Lotus, HRT. Like, come on. No, but I would count like that as as recent. But, you know, Matt has done a good job, I think, of spelling out the pedigree in, in other motorsports. So if you, I, I guess, you know, to counteract myself, Matt, I think, would you have confidence that those skills and that knowledge is transferable, given the fact that really, if you're going to succeed in F1, you're going to have to go and steal a bunch of people from Ferrari, Red Bull, Mercedes? Well, here's the thing for the power unit yes but we know we believe and summers will correct me when i am wrong that they have already a power unit supply in place now if you pay your 200 million dollar fee and you come in in 2024 that's each team getting 10 million a year for two years Till we're into the new regulations and they can argue about how much of the 50% the teams currently get 
the team should get if there's an 11th team. They can negotiate that then. But I, I, I was curious. So I did this thing where I divided 50 for 50% by 10, and I got 5. And then I divided it by 11, and I got 4.54%. So on a per-team basis, you're talking about like okay. 0.46% less. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, if they bring in 100 million new American viewers, well, I'm pretty sure my marketing team's going to tell me that we're making more money with the extra eyeballs then we're losing with that 0.46 of a percent that we've now handed over to Andretti, which is already offset it with like 10 million a year anyway, if they happen to come in before 26. My favorite part of that was when you slowly read maths out loud. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Summers, you'd uh, be a good aerodynamicist. You do, um, you do quite a lot of hand-drawn tech drawings. And, and like you're a really good artist, but uh, how much of that uh, is artistic license and how much of it is based on aerodynamic knowledge? Well, it's mostly artistic license, isn't it? You know, I'm explaining how things operate in a general sense. But um, if you're asking if I want to be an aerodynamicist yes, for Andressi, it's not, it's not <laughs> happening, is it? Actually, it was more of an excuse to point people at your work because I believe you are the best f1 tech communicator out there there's some strong competition increasingly so are you annoyed at the amount of new good techie people that have come in because it used to just be you and scarbs it, it did well th- there was always a few of us uh if you talk worldwide uh but yeah me, me <laughs> and craig are pretty much uh 
there or thereabouts in terms of you know the the social medias yeah. let's put it that way uh, and the way that we came through that sort of ranks but yeah there's a lot of new new people appearing uh, but there, there's a lot of people appearing on different sorts yeah. of, of tech you know doing things uh, like with simulation data etc so I think there's a lot of room for what we do mm. it's a niche topic anyway so, uh, a, so a, you either like it or don't it's a rising tech tide which would raise all, all ships. Any any interesting summers articles that we should point people to and, and put a link in the show notes of? Uh, well, over the Christmas period, as is usual, I did my annual review of every single team uh, and oh. obviously showed the development throughout the course of the season. Uh, so those articles are out there. If you go to my Twitter, you can follow the thread. Uh, and I do have over the course of the next few weeks, another set of mi- a sort of a mini series of articles coming out, looking at all the tech from last year and where that might have an impact on the development for 2023 as well. Excellent. So Matt, why don't we get a link to that in the show notes? And also we can get a link to the last tech time as well. And the last tech segments hosted, of course, by Matt to Rumpets. Okay, a couple of less heavy ones here. We've got we'll give a fine. We'll give this one some lip service. Uh, James from Canada says, "Would you rather have Carlos Sainz's hair, uh, Nigel Mansell's moustache, or David Coulthard's chin?" There you go, Chris. What what would you rather have, and why is it Nigel Mansell's moustache? No, it is definitely not Nigel Mansell's moustache. <laughs> I know they're sort of coming back, but I still feel like they have a certain aesthetic that would not suit me. <laughs> Um, and I already have Carlos Sainz's hair. So mm. it would be DC's chin because yep. anytime somebody wanted to punch me in the jaw, it just break their hand. Yeah, I'm I'm torn because as a as a round facer, as, a, as someone with an incredibly round face, I do look at David Coulthard's chin with with some envy. But, you know, the facial hair works really well on a round face, yeah. as proved by the actor John Sim. And also proven by the fact that when I accidentally didn't put the guard on my razors and had to, uh, and then I ended up having to shave my whole face recently, my my daughter nearly cried and my wife treated it like we sat everyone down and she was like, right, it's going to take a couple of weeks for daddy's facial hair to grow back. And it's just a difficult time we're all going to have to go through. Uh, But Nigel Mansell's moustache is so iconic that when I've seen him in recent interviews without it, like I'm, I'm physically upset that where is Nigel Mansell's moustache? He's unrecognisable. Yeah. 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 And of course, um, Summers is competing for the prize of best hair with Carlos Sainz. <laughs> Obviously. Yeah. But I, w- I would go for Mansell's moustache as well um, because clearly I need to hide some of what's going on yeah. here. Yeah. And that would offer the best, the best way of doing so. There you go. There you go, James. Hope you're happy with yourself. Uh, there is a question here from Kevin or Kozo. Hang on. Cool. Wow. We've gone all around the world, haven't we? So we've had Canada, America, New Zealand. And let's assume that Kevin is from Madagascar. Kevin from Madagascar says, if F1 could adopt a rule from another series, which would you, which would you get? Well, what, what, what do you think, Chris? Could F1 steal some rules from other series? Pro-am lineups. As in, as in we get like amateur racers to come and swap in and do a stint, just a bunch of middle-aged businessmen they do 30 minutes each race it got to a point though one a few seasons back where you know especially like with mazepin stroll latifi it was starting to look a little bit like that and and thankfully uh guan yu joe has looked reasonable otherwise that could easily be look like a pro-am business arrangement 
I'm talking about proper AMs, like the ones you get at Le Mans and the Spa 24 Hours that get in the way of all the pros. Um, no, for real, it would be it would be the return of some form of push to pass um, system, oh. <laughs> like the old Kurs. Um, and I know they're you know upping the battery power for 2026. I would love that to go yep. back into manual control and allow the drivers to deploy it strategically in wheel to wheel combat. Okay, so before the hybrid era, and I'm sure Summers is going to correct me on the dates, it was before 2014, wasn't it? Like 2011, we had Kurs? Well, so technically, if you want to be really uh, coy about it, as I'm sure Summers would would say, technically Kurs, it, when it was introduced in 2009, was also a hybrid era because it was technically a oh, hybrid engine. But in terms yes. of the, the proper hybrid era as we know it started in 2014 no no but well, what, what i'm saying is before the turbo yeah. hybrid era if you that's like, for 2014 it, yeah. there was some reclamation of kinetic energy which got stored yes. and they could press a button and couldn't they get like 10 seconds summers 10 seconds of of boost it was 6.66 if memory serves it was 80 horsepower um and i can't remember the the kilowatts of of power that they had off the top of my head 2011 2011 it was it was was first actually introduced in 2009 but braun and red bull red bull didn't run it um only the the likes of mclaren did uh and the system was really heavy and so it was basically abandoned for a year in 2010 came back in 11 until 2013 Excellent. But okay, so from a tactical point of view, though, it did afford something genuinely interesting. And when you played your video game, that was quite a cool thing to have. Oh, when should I deploy my extra power? And I don't I don't think that would be too gimmicky to bring back something like that when half the car is now battery. Surely now more than ever, you've got a chance to do it. And, And I guess they do do it to some extent, but it's all done with modes. And from the engineer's point of view, and it's kind of all preset, are you going to be regenerating mode? Are you going to be attacking mode? Are you going to be using up your power? Uh, or are you going to be somewhere in between? I think the biggest thing about Kurs was that it was something that people could actually see. You know, it was a visual yes. thing that they could see on the broadcast. And so it made it obvious to you that that the, it was from a strategic point of view, the driver was in control of it. But obviously behind the scenes with the turbo turbo hybrid era, those things are all happening. We just don't know they're happening yeah. unless suddenly, you know, they lose 160 horsepower down the straight because they've suddenly got no power for the MG UK to push along. Um, in a very similar scenario, I've talked about this on, on other occasions, but my way of improving the series would be to do with DRS in a very similar way in that I don't believe the way that DRS operates at the moment is probably the most efficient way of using it. Um, we should basically use it as a push to pass system and you should have so many pushes per race. And then that way it becomes a strategic aspect. Mm. You can use it for attack and defense. Uh, and, you know, the drivers are in control of when they're using DRS rather than having a, a pass that is arbitrary going to happen. You know, that's why I think people have okay. a big problem with DRS right now. Well, well let's say that we, if we dispensed with DRS and by DRS, I mean the mechanism by which when you are a second behind the car in front, at a certain activation point, you're allowed to open the rear flap and give yourself less drag for the whole of that straight until you hit the brakes again. So let's say they got rid of that. You've still got the technology. You've still got all the buttons. I I don't think it would be technically difficult to, as you say, go, right, okay, well, you're allowed 10 minutes of DRS in the whole race. Go for it. Or, you know, probably less. Chris? 
Yeah, so DTM ran a DRS where it was a certain number of seconds. Um, I think it was something like 200 seconds or, you know, it's 200 seconds of like push to pass in, in IndyCar, mm. um, for example. But yeah, the big difference for me between the pre-turbo hybrid curves and what we have now is that it was it was in the driver's control. They would yes. push that button and they would deploy it themselves. Whereas now it's just all done by, you know, some automated system. And the only real difference is when you tell them, oh, you can use the overtake button. And even then, all they're doing is getting more power of what they're already getting, if that makes sense. Um, and it's it's okay. and they only, you know, for reliability reasons, are only allowed to use it like once a weekend. Okay, question here. What problem are we solving? I don't know if that's Matt. What purity problem? of racing? Purity of racing, but okay, okay. Well, not okay, not purity of racing. I think uh, getting rid of super easy DRS passes and uh, giving an extra strategic tool <laughs> in wheel-to-wheel combat. Purity of racing. I just want to say, like, two uh, thousands kids say what? Because if you yeah. were F one in the nineties, you can take your purity of racing and you can stick it up your blown diffuser. That was dull. There were some dull races in it the nineties, Matt. I think what we're solving is the quality overtakes problem. The If you are going to allow both drivers to deploy DRS for a fixed time limit across a Grand Prix, well, now I can employ it defensively or offensively. And I've increased the amount of driver skill required and strategic thinking on the part of the team and how I deploy that in order to get to the end of the Grand Prix yeah. as quickly as possible. But for me... As much as I love Summers and his wild idea of driver-controlled DRS push-to-pass, the rule I would change? Easy. I would take the red flag rule from Indy, and I would use it in Formula One from tomorrow to the end of time. No. Well, okay. First of all, set out what is the red flag rule, and I'll tell you why you're wrong. Uh, It's very simple. If you, through your own actions... Oh, that one. Yes, you're right. (laughs) cause another driver to not be able to complete a lap in qualifying your best lap gets deleted i love that Uh, that's a simplification yes but for all intents and purposes that's how it would work i thought at first you were referring to red flags you know towards if there's a a late safety car and then do what they did in baku in 21 and have a two lap shootout and uh you know my concern there was if that became the norm race directors would that would become like race director crack you could be like oh my god i can make it so exciting this is and then you're gonna have someone in their ear going this is a really boring race but we could we could have a really exciting final and you would have them every every other race but this one is is not only is it a no-brainer oh it should be like of course if you if you foul in in qualifying three and you uh you and you disadvantage everyone else that should be taken away but how often did we have that happen and we went there i am at monaco oopsies yes sorry max bottas has done it rosberg's done it leclerc's done it schumacher's done it most of them have done something like that in their racing careers but oh my goodness was their clutching of pearls anytime we suggested that it was a bit dodgy and uh oh perez uh the perez one where there's now allegations that he admitted that he, he did that on purpose at monaco um i i think they were all on purpose so no, i'm just gonna say like the rosberg one where he robbed hamilton of, of getting it at monaco probably on purpose perez allegedly said it was on purpose schumacher one parking at rascas blatantly on purpose the leclerc one Maybe on purpose, but he he went too far and broke his his gearbox. There was a Bottas one. I I can't remember where it was. 
uh, but it, it was it was so blatant that he caused the yellow flag at exactly the time that would stop Hamilton having an attempt in Q3. So yeah, well, I'm going to say it, all those drivers cheated on purpose, Chris. And the only one of those that you listed that got punished was Schumacher yes. at Monaco. Well, that was, also the the most, that was also the most blatant one. Like, it was. You, you need to at least sacrifice your front wing. If you're going to do that, you need to like just go nose in at least, don't you? Um, it's a good rule, Summers. Um, am, I, am I being too... Do you want to defend the drivers? They, go on, tell me. Tell me a driver would never... I, I, I'm not going to defend anybody, to be perfectly honest, because <laughs> we, as we've all just bore witness to, I think we can suggest that, that all of those incidents were drivers pushing things over the edge for their mm. own advantage. Yeah. We want to live in a moral world, don't we? We want to live in a world that our mothers would be proud of, but um, but it's not that. It's motorsport where everyone will, will cheat the at question any is, given Spanners, would you do it? Would you have done those things? So, recently... Uh, <laughs> okay, look, this is not motorsport, but playing Catan with my wife, my 10-year-old and my 12-year-old, you're meant to get rid of half your cards if they roll a, a seven and bring out the robber. When a seven comes up and I'm sat there with a bunch of cards, I keep my, I keep quiet and I don't say a thing until my daughter starts counting everyone's cards. So I would say I would probably seek any advantage that wasn't blatant cheating if I could get... No, I would cheat. Yeah, whatever. I would cheat, you, yeah. You you helped you helped a driver in the F3 Cup that we run on iRacing to get pole position last season, if I remember no, I, ever so correctly. I didn't... You can say it was a mistake all you want, but there was a very good slipstream that he conveniently got. <laughs> I did try and manipulate it so Carl Powell would win the F3 Cup. <laughs> and also, I cheated in the IndyCar practice that we had yesterday, and I completely <gasps> got away with it. And no one knew what... Oh, do you know what? I, fu- I fudged... I'm not going to go into it. It's boring, but I, yes. I think to answer your question, Summers, I think most of us, you get into that high pressure environment and there's an exploit that you know, because those, the drivers, they know when they saw Rosberg's one and the timing of that and they saw Perez's one, they all would have known. And they know, oh, that's a, if they'd not already thought of it, you go, yeah, that's a great idea. All right, Matt, let's, uh, let's move on. Have you got any questions that have tickled your, your mailbag senses? Uh, yes, uh, but they're not for me. They're for Summers. Oh, go on then. Go for it. Let's have a, go on then. Let's sneak in some tech. And he knows He knows where I'm going with this. Yeah, as long Mud as it's guards. not anything. Oh, you're going to talk about flaps, aren't you? I knew you tell were going to make it. That. Tell me. I haven't lost my mind in thinking this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen in my life. Are we talking about the, the spray adjusters? As I've decided to name them. Spray adjusters. Yes, that's what I'm talking about. Yes, I, I don't think you've lost your mind. Oh, I on. think I think somebody's collectively <laughs> lost their mind in terms of thinking that this might be a, a solution that Formula One will will adopt. Wait, wait. I think. Sorry, Summers. Is there a question though, Matt? I don't want to do down yeah, the person who uh, emailed us uh, from T. Tylus, no less, uh, wanting to know the probability of seeing tests. Maybe they'll put it on F two cars first. Will they solve the rain? Will they be part of the assembly? Will they come on and off with the wheels? He had all of the great questions for you. Yeah, I mean, I think that we perhaps might see some kind of beta test uh, throughout the course of this season, just as we did with the wing mirrors that we're going to get for 2023. Uh, we've got huge wing mirrors coming in compared to what we've had in the past. Um, but this is a bit of a different problem to solve. And also, it, it doesn't really solve many problems. In fact, it might exacerbate some of them. And 
certainly it might disadvantage some teams more than others. And I think that's perhaps where the teams will have a really big pushback against something like this. And the other thing that I don't think anybody's really maybe thought about in this scenario is the impact that it might have on the tyres themselves uh, in terms of temperatures and all of that sort of thing. So there's a whole whole story of things that I think potentially might derail this scenario. Uh, And I, I don't really think it's ever going to happen but at least i suppose they put it out there matt would you sponsor a mud guard a mud flap we could get the m on a mud flap i i absolutely would and i guess if i'm the marketing department maybe i'm excited about this because now i've got more room on my car to sell but the thing that struck me when i looked at it is that they are trying to solve the problem of spray and visibility when it's full wets condition because of the change in the aerodynamic regulations. Now the spray is thrown directly back at the drivers so they can see absolutely nothing in conditions where when there was more of, I think, I guess you would call it an outwash kind of aerodynamic regulation set, they had a little better visibility. But the tires aren't in line with where the drivers sit, number one. And number two, just if you look at a picture of where the spray is coming from, to me, it looks like it's the diffuser that's throwing all that water up and back at the driver behind. And I'm just curious if if you've heard anyone talking about it or had any thoughts uh, along those lines yourself. Yeah, I mean, again, it's an aerodynamic issue, isn't it? And and I think that's perhaps where a study needs to be delved into by FOM uh, in advance of that, which I believe that they're undertaking at the moment. And 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 then that will obviously breed into something being done from a physical sense uh, as well in order to see what happens in, in real world conditions. Because as we've learned this year, uh, or should I say last year now, um, what the teams expected in reality didn't actually pan out in many ways because what we had was porpoising, uh, which a lot of the teams didn't expect. So there are some things that in doing testing from a simulation point of view don't bear out in in real life. Uh, And so I think for us to be able to go down this particular route might not just be something that can be just turned on. It might take a long time to put into place and have Formula One and Formula One teams got the patience to let that happen. Mm. Chris? Um, there's a really good question from Mike Stoner about what happens if it starts raining mid-race. Do they have to pit to attach the mud flaps? And I think yeah. they already addressed this where they said this is more of a of a situation where at the start of uh, the race, they'll put it on um, as in, you know, bef- before the lights go out, whereas it's not something they intend to do no, no, I'm seeing it more like an awning where you have someone come out with one of those little twizzly sticks and you just go to each corner <laughs> winding it down like in a restaurant at the end of the day, Matt. It's like a James Bond thing. You push the button and the thing comes out and the thing comes back and then yeah. you're good to go. Go, go, it's, gadget it's... flaps. Exactly. Okay, that killed that one. Oh, EJ suggested that maybe, in our live chat, by the way, uh, EJ suggested that maybe we just, you know, don't go to rainy places at rainy times of the year. And um, I can't remember if I said it on this show or somewhere else, but I'm sure there was a few years in Formula One where we just didn't have any wet races. And it was just scheduled that that we just seem to match all the seasons to to dry periods. And there was complaints about that. People were complaining (laughs) there was no wet races. In fairness... Uh, it, it absolutely hammered it down in Monaco last year in the middle of May. 
and that's you know supposed to be sort of early summer so not really a lot you can do there and then singapore it has racing in singapore and avoiding the wet season is quite difficult because that's you know 364 of the 365 days oh, okay i didn't know well, that. close close enough and then i can't remember where else it rained oh japan mm. that was it and i think they did actually move that race forward a little bit especially after the events of uh 2014 which was in the middle of typhoon season i love the fact that there is there's probably a lot of non-british f1 fans that think that northampton and silverstone is like this sunny paradise yeah because they always do the grand prix when it's absolutely sweltering and anytime i've been to silverstone for f1 it has been like fully roasting you didn't obviously go to, into the race in 2008 then did you spanners you didn't go to the race oh the, the bog <laughs> was that the famous bog where people were stuck and people couldn't get out Oh, 2012 as well. When it, pretty much any time there's been a light sprinkling in Northampton, that pretty much happens. Oh, and then you will need better tyres. So we're going to do a tyre question, Matt. There you go. Little treat for you, probably to to end the show with. Little tyre question for you lot. But I'm going to cruelly put it to Chris first. Oh, so God. this is this is from Anthony Fitzpatrick, who says, "Do you think F1 should go back to 2010 in having two tyre suppliers?" instead of solely relying on Pirelli. Yeah, so um, I, th- I think they mean 2006, because that was the last time we had two tyre suppliers at the same um, time. In Is 2010, really? we had yeah we had Bridgestone tyres in 2010 as a sole supplier. Oh, as, okay, uh, hang on, hang on. We need to do some history of F1 tyres here then. So, okay, so, so there was a tyre war yeah. for, oh God, what was it, about Bridgestone, 20 years? Right, and that was where you had like the Ferraris and a couple of other teams on Bridgestones, Bridgestones and everybody else on Michelin's because Sh- they were better. Yeah. Well, yeah, but didn't Bridgestone was Ferrari, wasn't it? So they liked to work mm. solely with Schumacher. And I think the consensus is that Schumacher did have this huge tire advantage because they were really directing everything at his car. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Um, but I, th- I think, I think there is a, a general across the board understanding that the best motorsport tire supplier is Michelin mm. because if, if, I didn't know if that. what you need is a high grip, uh, low wear tire, then it is yes. the best thing. It's why they're used everywhere in endurance racing. So it's easy for F1 fans to forget that like Pirelli aren't, they don't, they, those tires don't wear out because that's as durable as they can make them. Exactly. Pirelli could easily make a race tire that lasted a, a thousand laps. They could make go-kart tires that you never change if they were asked to. Exactly. And yeah. they do have an endurance racing pedigree, particularly in GTs as well. That's just proof that they can do it. Um, I th- the problem with a tyre war is that it is unsustainable um, in terms of the funding. It created problems. We all remember the events of Indianapolis 2005, which all happened because one tyre manufacturer could not safely complete the race and the other one said, tough. Yep. And going back to your point about the, the high deck tires, we would have to lose that because yes. you would never, ever, ever get two tire manufacturers to achieve the same level of deck and be honest about it. Because one of them will always sneakily make it last a little bit longer. And then the other one will get a little bit longer. And we just end up back where we were with, in the Bridgestone days yeah. where there's no strategy. Matt, do you have any opinions on tires? Oh, you know, not really. They're just round things that go on. Okay, car. then Summers? No, go on then, Matt. Go on. No, I, I find myself annoyingly having to agree with Chris. I don't think we are in a regulatory environment 
where competitive tire manufacturing is going to be helpful to the overall ideal of controlling costs in Formula One. Because after all, if I'm Pirelli and let's say Hankook comes in, well, now I'm going to have to spend a lot of money making tires, a lot more developing tires than I would have. And it's also going to be complicated because like, depending upon which teams buy my tires, now I test for those teams, but not with the other teams and vice versa. So you're going to see, because we all know that tires are the biggest single advantage in terms of getting them to work right, that you can have. You're going to see if someone gets that kind of advantage, they'll be uncatchable throughout the whole course of a season. And right now we have a a reasonable degree of parity as far as the tires go on the cars. Tire war summers? No, thank you. It just wouldn't. It wouldn't work, um, as the aforementioned has proved. Uh, the biggest issue is that uh, Pirelli, I think, take a huge amount of flack for what product they provide to Formula One. And yes, we've seen them have issues in the past. However, you also have to remember that a lot of the issues that have been caused in the past have been caused by the teams, and they've got away with it. Um, I'm thinking of the Silverstone incident back in 2013 when all the, t- the, the the teams were tire swapping and obviously they shouldn't have been doing that. Uh, so no, is this simple answer. No, no to a tire war for me. Um, I think it, it would be a bad idea for Formula One right now. And of course, it's worth remembering, just reiterating that point. It is their brief to make mm-hmm. a tire that does not last a long time. We want to see two maybe even three stop races in a Grand Prix. It's what's been asked of them by Formula One. And I think that that gives F1 a level of control over the entertainment. So we do need to say, right, okay, if we had no tyre wear at all and those tyres could just last forever, which Pirelli could easily do, that would take away a huge element of strategy. So as much as actually some people in our Patreon live chat were saying uh, when we were talking about push to pass and the DRS solution you know where you could choose how much drs to use you know someone came in and said well why not have mario kart green and red shells as well so it's seen as a bit of a mickey mouse thing but we're already so used to the tires being able to to dictate and and add a strategy element so you can almost go with all that other stuff if you're going to have this strategy element of tires and deliberately wearing it really you know having joker laps and uh, shortcuts and DRS whenever you want to open it and push to pass. I think that is all on the table. All those things are a legitimate part of of motorsport. But the gut reaction to any of these ideas to increase the entertainment or add strategy elements always gets greeted with, we'll just add Mario Kart shells. When really, motorsport is a a sandbox and and we can do what we want. And with the Pirelli tyres, Matt, they are able to, like, in fact, the thing that they probably just need to refine is looking at particular tracks and going, right, if it's Monaco, let's just find a way, let's have a specialist Monaco tyre where they have to make at least three stops at Monaco. Same with, with Singapore. Yeah, and and these are the kinds of things where if you only have a single manufacturer can be can be negotiated with the FIA as yeah. as as you go forward but the, the real issue is just getting pirelli the information they need in terms of the amount of downforce the teams are going to bring in order to design a tire that can run at race car pressures which is still really a battle that's being fought in a lot of ways no i got it completely the wrong way around 
Monaco tires should have no grip. Do like a super hard. Yeah, you don't ever have to change it, but you cannot get that thing turned. Turn Monaco into basically a boat race. Well, the, yes. the problem that you, the, you mentioned there as spanners is normally when uh, tire manufacturers are looking at outlier circuits, it's usually because they have super high tire wear and they're having to look at it from a safety point of view and usually what they do is they just remove the softer compounds yes. from their selection for that particular weekend it's very rare to have a situation where you're saying there's not enough tire wear or they're going they can control it too well around monaco and creating a super duper high deg tire specifically no, for no, monaco is going to be an expensive solution groove to tires them. groove tires they already just get the groove tires out of the museums from from 2007 no stop putting your head in your hands matt i think look let's look the, the problem that f1 faces one of the biggest problems with all of these things drs and tire wear is you have the tilkadromes which are i'm gonna say it the best f1 tracks for modern f1 cars some of them are they are some be- bring back i said it to uncle joe to bring back india malaysia shanghai uh, the korean grand prix all those tracks are great tracks Okay, and and they suit modern F1 cars. But I don't want to not go to Barcelona, Hungaro Ring um, as well. So let's just have, let's have a, Summers, tell me this will work. Let's have a historic track tyre and a Tilkadrome tyre. Get in. Well done, Spanners. Um, Yeah, I mean, the, the, the problem is, is that there's so many variables. And obviously... When you come to the teams looking for performance, the at the start of the season, they're, they're obviously going to have uh, problems with the tyres and you're going to get better as you go on through the start, the rest of the season. So perhaps there needs to be a mid-season break for Pirelli where they bring a, a new set of tyres uh, that... that <laughs> works against what the, the teams have done in the start of the season. Uh, they'll oh, obviously oh. argue against that. So but- Pirelli can actively try and foil... The way the teams have say got over the tire wear, why not? Yeah, I like it. I like it, Chris. They already make five different types of tire. Surely this is enough. No, no. I look. I I think. Look, you mark. Watch this space. I guarantee you, this idea is going to uh, take off. Tilkadrome tire, <laughs> historic tire. If anyone from the FIA is listening, yep. you better be taking notes. You better take. You better take that seriously. All right. I think we have time for one last question. Look, twenty twenty three. My New Year's resolution was to stoically stick to our strict 60-minute, one-hour time limit, which is why I know, hold your booze, this will have to be the last question. All right, uh, let's go. Let's go to Summers for this this last question here. Uh, First, when do you think we will see a title fight that does not involve Max Lewis or Charles Leclerc? Is there any chance of this year being between Sergio Perez, Carlos Sainz and George Russell? And that is from... Sarah. Well, I think the biggest problem that you've got with that spanners is the inter-team rivalries and the authority that certain drivers hold within those teams. Yes. So I think if Mercedes got in a position where ha- uh, Hamilton and Russell were in a position that Russell could win the championship and it meant that Hamilton had to play the, the team player, I do think that might work. However, I'm not so sure that you could get uh, Leclerc to play that role for Sainz or you could get Verstappen to play that role. That is interesting. That is interesting. 
we've got we're going to have to break down that specific point and chris we'll roll around to whatever you were going to move that onto next but which of those drivers that they mentioned first max lewis charles which one of those would play second fiddle if it came down to it i do think lewis hamilton would play a supporting role if it came down to it i i'm not really sure about that he I'm has not done before. Gonna, has, I'm not going to put my house on it, Chris. What do you mean he has done before? No, do you remember in Hungary 2017 when uh, Bottas was trying to have a go? At, I think it was Raikkonen. Yeah. And then they said, let Lewis have a go. And uh, and then he couldn't do it. And on the last lap, he let Bottas back through, sacrificing points for his own championship fight against Sebastian Vettel. So um, he has done it. That wasn't for before. a title, though. That was paying back. It was. That in was paying back. It was. No, no, it, no. Hang on. No, hang on. It wasn't supporting Valtteri Bottas's title push that was returning no, okay. a favor as well because hadn't hadn't Bottas g- already given up a place for Hamilton that year so it would have looked very mean-spirited if he'd have then decided to go actually I need the points well probably but then mm. Lewis has never really lost the title to a teammate other than to Nico Rosberg in 2016 and there was no other competition that year <sighs> Uh, no, what, there were circumstances that year. 2017, there was competition that year. My goodness, have you forgotten oh, 2017? Oh, 2016. Uh, no, oh, no, 16 when Rosberg won it. All oh, right, yeah. Oh, I don't know. I honestly, I am not going to bet my house or career or anything on on Lewis Hamilton doing that. But I do think that I, I would. It's more likely that he would. But I can't be sure, Matt. Well, here's here's what I would say. I, I think if it is a close run thing. You would get none of those drivers to give up. But I think if, for whatever reason, the first 10 races of the year, Lewis Hamilton doesn't finish because his engine blows up into a fireball, (laughs) I don't think he'd have a problem supporting Russell. Uh, I think, similarly, I think you could, at a certain point, offset, you would get Leclerc to support signs. No. I, I think he would. No, I'll tell I think you. he would. I think I think I think he would be realistic about it. But again, at a certain point offset, you would. I don't think you would ever get Max if you to are support, to support the other driver at Red Bull, <laughs> even if there was no way he could win. Mm. And if he supported him, it was a hundred percent guaranteed the other driver would win. If I was Charles Leclerc and I had decided I didn't want to support Sainz's title push, and the team had told me to. I would be setting up sentries around my car at nighttime before race time because there will be a cracked gearbox. There'll be a a spring and a sprocket going astray. Ferrari would find a way and they've done it before, Matt. They've done this before. Ferrari will find a way to make one driver give them the advantage over the other one. Yeah, I think the problem for the science scenario is that we have new management at Ferrari. Oh, yeah. Leclerc's busy. Last mm. year, I, I could have seen it happening because I think Bonato would have, if, if it had been obvious, Signs was the closest thing they had to a champion, the team would have supported him. Mm. I'm not so sure the team will let it get that close this year, if you know what I mean. Chris Stevens. So in terms of those three drivers being able to fight for a for a world championship, I would say Perez, no, Signs mm. unlikely. Uh, Russell, maybe, Jeez, maybe. This even. is savage. It's been nice having you on the show, Chris. Um, but, <laughs> but here, 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 my the end of my sentence, because I think that before any of those three drivers would fight for a title, Lando Norris would fight for one first. Lando Norris doesn't have no. Summers, tell him why he's wrong. 
Um, let, the, the, the gap. <laughs> Let's just talk about the gap between the top three. But he and wouldn't the, be at uh, McLaren. This is... This is a massive caveat you're throwing into the... the the works there, Chris. Yeah, yeah. Hang on, there's so what much. About? Got, hang on, there's so much that's got to happen. A, that's not happening this season. B, he would have to move to Audi. C, Audi would have to be make Sauber a championship winning team. Well, okay, hang on. You, I'm just asking. I'm just answering the question oh, okay. in the you know the next title fight that isn't between those three drivers with Max and Charles and, and Lewis. Which, let's be real, is mm. going to be the short-term future of yeah, Formula One. I think so. So okay. the next best thing, I think, is going to be Lando Norris at Audi. I've got some issues. George Russell, I don't think he's the finished article yet. I don't think he's as fast as Lewis Hamilton on a Sunday. I think George Russell can win a world championship. He's going to bring home world championships that have been won by other drivers in the past. You swap him in for, for Vettel in 2013 or 2011 i think george russell's winning the the title and i think carlos Sainz could win a title as well i think those are egregious matt and i think your face summed up my feelings yeah well i mean i think the problem you have there is there's probably about half-ish the grid that if you gave them that kind of a car advantage yeah they could bring home a world championship but that's not what we're talking about here we're talking about will we see the second drivers in the top three teams any one of them actually won a title. The last time we saw that was Rosberg in 16. So, no, I don't think it's very likely, unfortunately, that we'll see any of them seriously contending for it. Okay, well, here's... I can give you a recent example of, uh, of the, the... Let's say the Red Bull side of this, uh, this debate. 2008 featured the best Grand Prix car in history. The Ferrari 2008 best Grand Prix car that's ever been made. Really? Cases are being made if you're listening. To get Felipe Massa that close to being world champion, that was the best car that has been ever produced. And for Lewis Hamilton to, to uh, to get just past him, to pip him on the line when Timo Glock deliberately let him pass to steal Massa's <laughs> world championship. Um, but that was a situation, I think, that you could realistically see at Red Bull because, remember, Raikkonen was the world championship driver at that Ferrari team in 2008 and he supported and actively supported uh, Felipe Massa. How many races do you think Verstappen would have to retire from and have Perez win in a dominant Red Bull car before Verstappen turned around and said, I'm supporting Perez's world championship bid. More than Lewis retired from in 2016, that's for sure. Can I also just reiterate for anyone, right, that when Spanner says Glock <laughs> deliberately slowed down, because because they posted that yeah, clip know, on the F1 Instagram like this week, oh. and the comments were filled with garbage no, like no, that. No, 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 no. He is joking. No, no, I'm joking. No, no, no. To be clear, like go and rewatch that. And there's the onboards from from Glock, and you can just see like the second they made the decision not to pit and and stay on dry tires, you could see how much both of those cars in that team. Which team was it? Toyota. It was Toyota. Toyota. You can see how much both of them were just struggling the whole lap. It it would um that would have been four D chess to work out and go. All right. Well, on the last Mm. lap, Hamilton's going to come through. (laughs) Um and actually, it's worth going back and watching that race because. All the the commentary, I think, all including Ferrari, they were all watching uh, Vettel in front of Hamilton, and and this is why Ferrari celebrated at thinking Massa had won because Hamilton didn't overtake Vettel. He needed to overtake Vettel to finish fifth, and as they were crossing the line, Hamilton was behind Vettel, 
Ferrari start celebrating going absolutely nuts, not realising that they had both overtaken a Toyota, which could reasonably have been being lapped in that era. You could reasonably have gone, oh, they just passed a, a lapped well, car. He was so much slower that it did look like yeah, a, lapped a car. back marker. Yeah. You wouldn't have thought anything yeah. of it. Sorry, yeah, I was joking. Yeah, I forget that needs clarifying. Uh, I yeah. do beg your pardon. But answer, answer the question. Okay, there you go. Let's go, let's go to Summers. Uh, what would it take for Verstappen to support a Perez title push? Um, I, I think you've already covered it, really. I'm glad I threw a load of E10 fuel on the start of this conversation <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it, it would really need uh, Perez to have performed beyond the limit we've seen from him before, and it would would require yeah. Verstappen to basically have had 10 failures. Oh, okay, but look at, look at um, 2009, where you had Barrichello and Button, you could probably argue, yeah, Barrichello is towards the end of his career, Button probably overall on talent. Uh, but that could have been a couple of engine failures from Button, and that could have been Barrichello winning the first six races. So you could get a situation like that. Yeah, it's, it's more than possible. And uh, But the momentum shift, um, I think, in the mid-season from, from the Verstappen camp might overwhelm what has already happened in those, you know, the early scenario of what you've just come mm. up with. So I, I don't think it would be so much set in stone until it was basically irreversible. You know, you've got to be at yeah. an irre- irreversible point in the championship. Basically, if you're at the point where Perez retires every race to the end of the season and still wins, then I think Max supports him. <laughs> I mean, it's it's so much harder to get into that situation now because there are so many more races than there were back then. And there is a much bigger difference between the points between first and second. Now, like back in that 09 era, you were talking about yeah. spanners. Like a win was actually worth very little. It was only two more points yes. than yeah, yeah. Um, second place was. And I think, you know, for Perez, he would need to be on the same form he was in in in, in Saudi Arabia um, in 2022, where he was on pole position and uh, was, you know, leading the early stages of the race, got unlucky with the safety car timing, which is what cost him the race. Really, you would need him to be in that form for the entire season. And I don't see that happening. I have a question, though. Do you think this is a Perez-specific thing with Verstappen? It Do you does, think if it, it was a different driver mm. at Red Bull, like, I don't know, maybe some Australian whose name I can't remember right now, Ricardo. do you think he might be more willing? It seems personal, doesn't or, it? It does seem like yeah. there's some beef between Verstappen and, and, and Perez. And I think that it, I think conspiracy theories, if you want, yeah, let's, let's do it. Um, Perez started the season too well in 2022. Because he was looking really strong, he was looking quite strong in Barcelona. Could arguably have, have you know have have held off Verstappen or at least attempted to, but he got ordered to to let it go by. Uh, he wins in Monaco with the help of that Q three accidental spin, and and was looking was looking genuinely on it. And then his form disappeared to such an extent that you could mistake that for a a Ferrari a Ferrari team dynamic. So well, the car. I, yeah the car was more suited to him in the uh, early okay. stages of the season oh, undeniably that's not exciting the way the development went it really went against perez's yeah driving because i think what they were aiming for yeah. was allowing max to do his thing but that showed that's back to summer's point where you're saying like the the teams the management has a preference for one driver or or another i don't think that red bull is team verstappen I think it's suiting them right now, but I think mm. Verstappen can, uh, Red Bull can turn that tap on and off. They can, they yeah. can elect another. They can have another 
champion the same way that Ferrari just dumped Vettel. You know? Yeah. But I think we'll get an answer to Matt's question when Red Bull inevitably uh, pluck Daniel Ricciardo from the third driver Don't role and promote Don't him that, to the man. race seat midway this. through Don't. the season. No. <laughs> okay, I can see it. Doesn't like I can it. see it. I can see that happening though. Anyway, that was an absolutely great question. Thank you for all your mailbag questions. 2023, I want a lot more uh, listener and viewer interaction. We're definitely going to push ahead with some of our call-in shows. I think the mailbag shows have proven to be a staple. You guys are absolutely fantastic with coming up with with questions and topics, take us in a direction we wouldn't normally have have naturally considered or or thought of. We are looking obviously to do our normal race reviews and we are taking a serious look at doing some short race previews as well please go and check us out on our our tiktok channel which chris has been curating chris how do you go to a tiktok uh go in the search bar so you need that app. Type go in to the missed app. apex yeah mm-hmm. open open the app in the top right corner there's a little mm-hmm. um uh gl- oh god what are they called the little know. glass thing. Magnifying no glass. Magnifying ah. glass, yeah. Why is that the symbol for searching g- g- over my head? Uh. Um, and type in Missed Apex Okay, good. Uh, so F1. TikTok is on there as well. There's going to be a, a Spanners F1. Uh, there is a Spanners F1 channel. I'm going to start posting on both of those accounts soon. So follow us on TikTok and Twitter by searching for Missed Apex. Summers, uh, you're probably the best one on this show. Uh, normally, I'm the best one, but you're like a proper journalist. You've got prestige You've got 40,000 followers on Twitter or something. How many have you got? I don't know, something like 30,000. Wow, that's so many. You're a massive deal. Um, let's and give I, didn't you, buy, I didn't buy any of them. You didn't buy any of them. Hardly any. <laughs> I've hardly bought any. Uh, let's give you a few more. It's at SummersF1. It is. On there, on Twitter. And we will have some links to some articles. And um, where do you post your golf content? Oh, there's a YouTube channel. You know, you can search for Summers Golf and you'll find that sort of thing. Should we link to Summers Golf, Matt? Should we do it? Summers Golf. Yes, we should because, you know, Missed Fairway Podcast is just (laughs) around the corner. You can follow Matt Trumpets at MattPT55 and you can follow Little Chris, Little Baby Chris at ChrisOnRacing on Twitter. And uh, I would also like to say that this Saturday is the fourth round of the Missed Apex iRacing F3 Cup. Go and subscribe right. to the Missed Apex Motorsport YouTube channel for that. Yep. And I'm going to do Brad a favor here and also say that the British Rental Cart Championship is the following weekend, which he <laughs> is like the organizer of. of, and that's going to be on their YouTube channel as well. Okay, but Matt, don't link to that. Just link to our missed apex yes <laughs> honestly go and subscribe to the youtube missed apex motorsport and you can see if i, I can put my money where my mouth is in uh, f3 sim race and if matt can uh spoiler neither of us can but there is a lot of the missed apex crew racing in that great commentary from chris and uncle steve puts together a really entertaining broadcast and that that'll be saturday at around 8 p.m uk time and you can follow me as well on twitter i'm the second best one today at Spanners Ready on Twitter and Spanners F1 on TikTok and Instagram and all that kind of stuff. We will see you, I believe, for another live stream next Sunday. But until then, work hard. Oh, we've gone jazzy. Made a mistake. Well, this is the way it's going to go now. We're ending the show with jazz. Is this you, Matt, playing? I do not play guitar, but yes, this is the group that I played in. Just let this roll out for a little while. Until we see you next, work hard, My be funny kind, Valentine. and have fun with your Valentine. This was Missed Apex. 
Have we got the right, the copyright to this? Uh-huh. Well, I mean, I recorded it, so I'm not going to sue you for it. Okay, but we might get sued. Whether ASCAP or BMI come after you, that's a different story. This really doesn't suit the graphics that are on the screen of a fast-paced motor car. Well, I guess we roll with it. Just see how long people that's listen a pretty for. pretty groovy version, if I do say so myself. It will be interesting to watch the podcast stats and see, I can see when people drop off. It might even increase at this point. I'm just into it now. Chris, you into it? I love jazz music. I really, really? wanted to book a um, a place at uh, like a jazz bar for my birthday last year. We can make that happen this year. Well, I've had a lot of plans for my birthday, but it's uh, I'll be away my birthday weekend. We'll give you a fa- I'll give you my birthday this year. You can I have will my be birthday. at an event that hopefully soon I'll be able to talk about. I'm a 42-year-old man whose children never care about my birthday, so you can have mine if you want. Ah, that'd be nice. Summers, (laughs) how old are you on your next birthday? I will be the same age as you. Are we the same age? We are. I look so much better than you do, though. (laughs) I thought for a second you were going to say the same age I was five years ago. (laughs) No, honestly, you look like, like, like death is approaching fast. I look like a spring buck. In my first throes of youth. Are you really? We're the same age. You're, 40, you're going to be 43 next. Okay, do you want that birthday or do you want to give that to Chris? You can I, have... I can give mine to Chris as well. There oh, you go. yay! You've got three birthdays this year, Chris. One of them oh, can be wait. at a jazz bar. My be... birthday weekend is always the Indy 500 and the Monaco Grand Prix weekend. There's no more F1 content coming, by the way. I just I got into a thing. I really need to end it. But there's, there's no easy way to end it now. We're in this... Is this still the show? This is still is this the show. show? I, oh god! It's just a vibe now. Yeah, it's um, it's not a show anymore. It's a place. It's a feeling. <laughs> it's um, isn't it more of just like an idea? It's a concept. Yeah, it's a concept. Some of the live chat have turned it up. They're saying this is the best content in years. Not. It's irrelevant. This is the last silly thing we're going to do in 2023. From from here on in, Chris, all. Mega serious, tight, compact, built for social media algorithms. Like a good sedan. That's what we're looking for. 2023. It's all about algorithms. Metrics. I'm the, I'm the king of algorithms. <sighs> Spanners is now a tech bro. <laughs> I'm gonna have to play. There's no other way to get out of this except to play the proper funky music. Sorry, Jazz.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market